Hello, and welcome to Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. Bye, writers. To keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Brent. I'm LP. I'm Will. And uh, if all five of us being here wasn't enough, we also have Piper J. Drake with us tonight again. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here again. Yay! (laughs) We love having you here, and you are coming tonight to talk to us about non-Western story structures and how they contrast with Western story structures. I cannot wait to have this conversation, so I'm just going to pass it over to you. Let's do it. Okay. So when I was talking to Will about, hey, what would we like to talk about in terms of writing craft? I kind of had was like fresh off some experiences at cons um, talking about story structures. And when it comes down to it, uh, what I find is that a lot of people talk about your three-act structure or your five-act freytag structure, right? Um, or, you know, if you really big into Dan Wells and the way he talks about building character with a seven-part story structure, you go there too. And all of them have a tendency to be very, very symmetrical, right? They're very much like an isosceles triangle. They build up, they hit a climax, they go down, you know, and they resolve. Uh, and one of the things that's really interesting to me is when an author tries to go for a non-Western storytelling style or story structure. And I think one of the first ones I ever was introduced to was the Kisho Tenketsu, which is an East Asian story structure or narrative structure. And it's, it's a, it's oversimplified. It's a four act story structure. Uh, the first I suppose act or phase is the key or the introduction, which we're probably pretty familiar with, right? Like we introduce our main characters and our settings. Uh, The show is more of a development of those main characters and world building. So this still feels kind of um, natural to us because it's building up towards a climax. And then what we hit is the 10 or the twist or change. And this is what spins people for a loop because it is a change of perspective or a sort of catalyst in the story that often seems unrelated to the elements that were established in the first two acts of the story. And it impacts them in some fashion that leads the story to its conclusion. So it's a major twist uh, or, or a change in perspective. It can be a gentle one still. And rather than an isosceles triangle, what you end up with is sort of a polygon, right? Like it's, it's, it's a much different angle. And it's asymmetrical. And this feels uncomfortable to a reader who is expecting a three-act structure, right? And a lot of times I hear people talk about shows where they're like, you know, I didn't get that. That kind of came out of left field. I really wish the author had spent some time seeding or establishing that concept in the beginning so that when the twist came, it felt like it was it would it fit more in the story instead of just being popped in there randomly. Like that lack of comfort with the storytelling, you end up with reviewers who review this book because they're not familiar with the story structure and they actually think that the author did it wrong rather than on purpose. And I think that that's one thing that I find really interesting about the concept of non-Western story structures and some other ones, you know, that one is Kisho Tenketsu, but we've got some other ones. Nick? Yeah, LP, you actually put a very interesting comment as well in our chat here. Um, and and, and kind of want to ask a question for you, Piper, here. 
how does someone yeah. go about identifying these di- this this specific different structure? Like, uh, how do you prepare yourself going into a book and understanding that it is not telling from the Western perspective? You know, it's really hard to know in advance unless you happen to know something about the author or the story already. Like, maybe you knew that this story was not uh, a three-part, three-act structure or a five-act structure, and it's actually done in a Kisho Tenketsu, and you've been given that as an example, so you're going to pick this up and read it. Then you can read ahead, like, you can do a little bit of homework on what is the Kisho Tenketsu. There are a lot of great visual infographics on it. Um, some great examples in movies that are a little bit faster than reading to understand it, like Parasite was a really, really popular horror movie uh, not too long ago that was uh, available on Netflix. That is a great example of Kisho Tenketsu. Um, but preparing yourself to recognize it when you don't know already in advance that a story is that way, it's more about understanding that there are other story structures than the three act or the five act. You know, they're just like, it's important to know that there's other journeys than the hero, the hero's journey, right? Like a lot of people will watch a, a movie and then they'll be like, oh, I tried to map it to the hero's journey, but it didn't fit. So it must, there must've been something the author did wrong. Or maybe it's because it's not the hero's journey and it's actually a heroine's journey, right? Or it's a different type of character journey. Who knows? I think LP had something to say. Yeah. I mean, I uh, I want to, I guess I'm kind of responding to Nick. I think rather than like, how do you know when you go to see a new thing, go and Piper was saying about how reviewers, uh, you know, say that someone did the story wrong because, you know, they don't know, they're not familiar with the Kisho Tenketsu um as a as a as a format as a narrative style structure rather um and i think what's really important is that we start reading more widely like reviewers start reading more right widely slush readers start reading more widely agents start reading more widely editors start reading more widely because um we've been asking for diversity in in fiction and like a lot of people who are you know Pepper's shade and darker uh, have been like employing the things that, that the stories that come from our diasporas and like people tell us that it's wrong. And then, and then something like parasite comes out and was like, well, that's Kisho Tenketsu. That that's like, it's textbook Kisho Tenketsu. So it's like, Oh, but you know, Asian stories are sometimes kind of wonky and blah, 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 blah. It's like, are they wonky or do you not understand them? And is you not understanding them? Uh, does that mean that the story's wrong or does that mean that you haven't taken the time to figure it out because everyone loved Parasite? Yeah. I think one of the other things to prepare yourself to come into any story is open your mind to the fact that it may not be choosing a narrative structure that you're familiar with. That's all. Just be open to that rather than say, Hey, um, you know, it's too bad they didn't do this because then it would have made much more sense based on the story structure I'm more familiar with. Just come to it with an open mind of like, wow, what were what what was the experience they were trying to give me because they chose to tell me the story this way? Right? Why am I uncomfortable? And a part of that is the lens that you're approaching that story with. If you're approaching the story with a Western lens, then it's gonna feel a little uncomfortable. It's like wearing somebody else's glasses. Right. So I think that that the answer to your, I would give to your question, Nick is just be open rather than have an expectation that a story 
you're going to be able to predict the ending because you always predict the ending because you know how structure works. Then just come up, come to the story without that, that expectation, that, that lens, you know, and just experience the story and then ask questions. Why did I feel that way? Rather than I wish that they had, you know, seeded that earlier in the beginning and that would have been done better. Just, just ask, why did you feel that way? Another structure that's kind of fun, but people often find they're confused, especially uh, in in some really popular Asian dramas right now. Um, Or honestly, I heard about The Witcher as well. Um, But some of the older stories and movies I think are great for this is like the nested or circular storytelling, right? I think if you dig back in episodes our podcasts that I've done for other podcast shows like Writing Excuses, Dan and I talk about framing stories, right? That now framing stories are kind of an interesting connected, but like the idea of nested storytelling, where you're telling a story within a story is something super old as time. It's not a Western story structure. And when it's done in a narrative, there's sometimes where people get really, really confused. Like two of my favorite examples are The Thousand and One Nights, and um, also the other one is uh, the Thai Panyatado, which is um, a lesser known like tales of Buddha's past lives from the Thai Buddhism perspective, but buried within each of them are some of my favorite folk tales, right? So each of those stories is told framed within an overarching narrative. Same thing as the Thousand and One Nights. And those collections of those tales are really cool. And people will take just the tales piecemeal. But have you ever read Thousand and One Nights from start to end? You realize there is an overarching narrative because the Thousand and One Nights is actually a nested storytelling example. The Name of the Wind. Yeah. I see I was, Marshall I was, was pointing I, out too. Yeah, we were throwing some stuff in the chat. Name of the Wind does this. I, I That's one of the things I like about it. And also throws in the... Um, kind of unreliable narrator on top of it too, because you have a story, he's telling a story. He's also a character in the story he's telling, and then he gets to embellish wherever he wants and make himself out. He makes himself look pretty damn good. So, but what's true and what's not, you know? Um, Oh yeah. (laughs) You guys are crazy. Go ahead. Will. I think another uh, interesting and different form of storytelling comes from manga and anime and it's the short story use of introducing a character. You know, when you um, look at the anime uh, Toradora, it is all about meeting um, the main character who is trying to get a new hairstyle to make him more approachable. And it's through these little short stories that in Western culture would be like, well, that, that doesn't move the story forward. Why is it here? But really, it does establish a lot about the character. It's telling us a lot about it just through everyday things. And I, I've seen that in a lot of comic books crossing over to Western and um, even some Western storytelling. And constantly the reviewers have been, it starts off really slow. But really, you're just not used to that type of story frame that really does tell a lot of it. You know, and I really what I really wish is that we would see um, a wider discussion outside of like what we're doing today. Like I think even in creative writing programs, we need to have a wider discussion of, you know, how to understand story structure through uh, a non-Western lens, because if anything, I feel like it's going to make all of our stories richer, 
you know, and more powerful as we can start to play with these structures and have fun with them. One of the things that I really thought was funny, because I was mentioning prior to us starting the podcast is that Piper Mommy is visiting me uh, for the first time since prior to the pandemic. Uh, So it's been like two, three years now, three and a half years since I got to see my mother. And um, the first thing she said was, A, I want to eat these things that you make. So I'm cooking like for three weeks. And also B, she wanted to binge watch several Asian dramas that she's been wanting to watch and get my reactions from. Uh, because both of us love to watch Asian dramas together. And so we've been watched several different shows. But one of them that we're currently watching right now is The Untamed, which is a Chinese wuxia, which I may have pronounced incorrectly. So I apologize. Um, but The Untamed is sort of an epic boys love storytelling style. We're talking 50 episodes, 45 minutes a piece. Like this is an investment in time. Uh, but it is glorious and wonderful. And I'm going to spoil it a little bit because I want to get into the structure. The first thing that I experienced as this Asian drama opens up is a battle scene and somebody falling off a cliff, another person holding on to him, significant looks between them, like serious bromance, boys love stuff going on. Honestly, it's boys love. Like, obviously, the government would prefer that it be interpreted as bromance, but we're going there because um, it's 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 canon. All right. <laughs> and and then you have another guy come over and shout the guy's name and like you see a sword come down and you're like, did he die? What happened? Did he die? And then you come swinging into this other moment 16 years later. That's the only hint you get 16 years later. And there's people and there's somebody and you realize that he's been reincarnated. His so- his soul has been yoinked into another body that summoned him to to enact revenge and then you go through this storyline and you meet certain people and you're like oh here's a person and here's a person i have no idea who is important i guess they're not important because they died right like and you just watch people die as 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 various things are happening and then our apparently main character who's been reincarnated or summoned into another body um, looks around and he's like i thought you died i thought you died oh no you didn't die i'm glad you survived right and he's just Suddenly, he's in combat with a stone dancing goddess, and he overcomes the stone dancing goddess, but he passes out. And he goes, ah, what brought us all to this moment? And you get slammed back 16 years to when they all meet as students and young people. And you start to get to know, and you literally go through the next 20-something, 45-minute episodes, learning about these various people you met in the first episode. Or second episode, depending on if you're talking about the battle scene or the 16 years later, and now you're going back to how they all kind of met and you're going through this journey. And then halfway through, by the time you're around episode 32, you get slammed back to 16 years present time and and after he died and he's alive again. And then the story continues on from there. And what it's done is very much not linear storytelling. So there's a lot of Western audience who want to watch Asian dramas, who know The Untamed was amazing for all the feels it gave them. But they're like, I was confused. Like, you have to watch it three, four times to to catch up. Go ahead, guys. LP, go first. I love the sound of this. This makes me very happy because... There's, there's a, there's a, when I look at, at narrative generally, and especially when I look at film, you know, uh, I live in Los Angeles, so I will 
pretend I'm an expert on something. Um, there's a group of people who are running everything and like a lot of them like don't have a lot of critical thinking skills or like can't really read a script. And so they get into a room with the writer like, what's the heart of this? And you're like, did you read it? Cause like, I feel like you should be able to tell me what the heart of this is rather than me. Right. And so, but because everyone's working from a formula, it's like, okay, well, how do we fit this into the formula that we know? How can we make this like something that we recognize? And like, I think that's happening to our detriment as um, as human beings because human beings rely on storytelling. Um, and I love th- what you just said about this story, the way that it moves. I'm like, I'm following you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm following you and there's no like, uh, I also have a high tolerance for ambiguity, but like, all of this is making sense to me. I was like, yeah, they went to the, you, you met this character and then you go back into the past and find out how they, how they became friends and then you come back to the present. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Oh, yeah. And it's <laughs> interesting that like, there are a lot of ways to tell stories. And I think we're doing ourselves a disservice when we don't invest in, in the range that's available to us I think as storytellers, also- as readers, as people who consume story. Yeah, absolutely. I think also what's kind of fun is like, wasn't The Witcher a Western-produced show? I'm not talking about the game. I'm not talking about the canon that's been established in advance of that. I'm talking about the actual show, of which I've only seen season one. But I know a lot of people um, fed back that they were super confused because the timelines, the, the the storytelling of the actual show was not linear. Yeah, that's frustrating. <laughs> I um, I keep thinking of American shows... Uh, that tried to do something like that, like lost. And I think they were the first season, you know, it was, it was okay. And I think they relied a lot on that and heroes. Good. Oh, heroes, good yeah. point. But uh, for my webtoon vessel, um, I've made it a point. To, <laughs> um, I've made it a point to um, every fourth episode goes into the past. And, it was a way to not just fill in the blanks, but as it goes on, it keeps going further back in time. And then it goes to the forward one. Um, and I like that form of storytelling. I don't personally, I don't think it's jarring. I find it to be interesting. And I also think, I think another reason why we don't see it in Western culture is because uh, it was dominated by white men. Because if we have to <laughs> constantly be looking back at history and connecting it to the present, um, they would have a big problem with it, you know. And I think that's one of the reasons we don't see it at all. Yeah, LP, you got something to say? People are benefiting from the video feed on this one. LP's face is priceless. Um, yeah. Nick, you were going to say something? Yeah, no, I just want to touch on The Witcher season one because it is vi- like. I feel like as people were watching it, the entire audience all of a sudden in episode four realized, oh my gosh, there's three different timelines and this is what's been going on. Everything makes sense now. Um, It was like not a big reveal, but the frustrating part about that is as you, it changed different characters, but Garrett, who was in all three timelines, didn't really change outfits that much. We still you know, so it was it was hard to tell at first until certain events synced up. And that's when I was like, love it. Okay, this works for me. This makes sense now. Like, I'll rewatch this 
tired for a season four times. Look, <laughs> Garrett can stay exactly the way he was dressed, except when he got into the hot tub, because that was glorious. Fair. I mean, we did LP? see him bathe several <laughs> times. Yeah, Which I think is important. <laughs> there are no washcloths. Uh, so, a few other things. <laughs> so, like, I'm about to spoil a book that's been out for years, so this is not my problem or my fault. Um, I think uh, I know that the second person bothers a lot of people, but, like, the fifth season also does a really good job of this uh, with... I'm sorry. Spoiler spoiler alert for fifth season. We'll mark a place and that you can fast forward the podcast to, but like it, it's been too long and you should have read this by now. Um, the fifth season does three timelines, and in addition to that, at the end of each uh, at the end of each section, there is some kind of expository apocrypha, um, which kind of lets you know that the history of the world is an unreliable narrator. Um, and so when Will was talking about how like every fourth episode, it goes into the past and like it deepens the world building in a way that a teaches you about the world, but also makes you critical and like of the people who are telling the, of the people who won the wars, the people who told the story when the dust settled, you know? I think also by going to the past, sometimes you can also see that complexity of people and the complexity of a society because it doesn't um, you can see where people could have good intentions or their intention isn't what they thought it actually was or what it turned out to be, you know? And I think you see this a lot of time in society um, when you pay attention closely and when you can uh, critically look at and critique certain aspects of our society where you're like, yes, you, that was your intention, but your intention was fueled with like racism or homophobia that was so inlaid and it's actually made things worse. So I think these are all reasons that we need um, different story structures and understanding different story structures because it helps us understand our own reality. Right. I may be a bit contrary here, but I don't think the Witcher did it well. Um, I can think of a show that did do it well. That was Western produced and I think the reason this show did it better than The Witcher necessarily did it is because it understood that a Western audience may not get this. So let me meet them where they're at and then bring them into it. So the show I'm going to name is How to Get Away with Murder. Very nonlinear, super nonlinear. But I think it does a better job of getting an audience prepared and ready for time jumps than Witcher did. I think Witcher was all over the for me for me it was all over the place but i think for it and i think with how to get away with murder they did one very simple thing that i think drew western audiences is the sound effect when it went back in time it literally did like a record scratch and it did that throughout every throughout every show every season that's something western audiences understand so i think sometimes yes it's good to tell people have the range read wildly do better blah 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 But if our job is as storytellers to get them to understand new and better things, we sometimes have to meet them where they're at. And I think um, I think that's where I I think that's where a show like How to Get Away with Murder does the work. And it does it well because it understands this audience may not quite get this. So let me let me feed them some breadcrumbs so they understand what's going on. And I don't think The Witcher did that. The Witcher was just like, 
in the water. Here you go. Figure out sink or swim. And yeah. All I, right. I let's I would... get with the controversy tonight. LP, <laughs> go for it. Then Piper. I, I think that uh, um, I do agree that how to how to get away with murder did it really well. Um, but there was also a zeitgeist thing because uh, there were several shows. Again, no one in Hollywood has imagination. So they see something successful and they're like, okay, how do we recreate that? And so that's what the first five seasons of Arrow were like. That's what the first season of Quantico was like. How to Get Away with Murder did it the entire run of the show and did it well the entire run of the show. Um, And this kind of like, because what it did was, you know, you could have case of the week situations and then cases that built to the, the overarching situation. But like the first episode of every season or if not season, then at least like to the, the, the mid season break showed you what the mystery was for the, for this, for that section. And, you know, it dropped breadcrumbs uh, before commercial breaks, <laughs> like, or, and at the, the last scene was always like a big clue to what, how the thing happened and where everyone was and who did this and who did that. And so like, I agree that we should definitely devote, you know, uh, you know, a calendar season to a, the first season of how to get away with murder. So I think one of the things that Brent brought up that I really love, cause it kind of segs into one of my questions for us all is as writers, how do we, if we want to employ a non-Western story structure, whether it's Kisho Tenketsu, whether it's nested storytelling, whether it's circular storytelling, which we haven't even gotten to yet, right? Um, how do you become a gateway to bring readers in and introduce them to this unfamiliar story structure in, in writing, right? Like you, you mentioned, Brett, that one of the reasons why it worked was because you had this cue that helped readers or helped watchers recognize that there was going to be a time skip. Now, is it a visual cue where you have a chapter break and a mention of 16 years in the past? Or is it a POV where you keep this person's POV always in the past? Like, there's a couple of different ways to do it. How would you, each of you, or anyone who has an idea, if you were going to introduce a non-Western storyteller, how much heavy lifting would you do to help the readers that are your main audience, which are mostly Western readers, if you're going to be going through, you know, trad or indie publishing here in the US, how would you help them learn and enjoy your story while also getting them used to a non-Western story structure, knowing that they're going to default to a Western lens? That is an excellent question. I didn't know there'd be homework. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) So I can tell you that my book that's coming out in April, 2023 is my attempt is my attempt. Uh, It is. And it was kind of fun because I wrote it, didn't say anything to my editor and I sent in the manuscript and they sent it to a an early reader um, real early on in the developmental stage, which I really applaud about source books because they're very serious about the sensitivity reads. Uh, so they did send this story to an Asian diaspora reader um, who was also an editor to do an early read to point out some stuff. And they made sure because I'm predominantly known for my romance 
they made sure that this editor is also very, very strong in fantasy because of the fact that the themes in the story, um, this is my first uh, adventure outside of romance and writing a fantasy romance or a contemporary fantasy or more recognizable as an urban fantasy. So they had this early read done and the early readers, one of the person's comments was, Hey, I was with you for the first two acts. I'm like reading this one down. Did you intend to have a Kisho Tenketsu four act structure? Or is this a third act, a three act structure with a really weird climax situation echo going on? And I was like, Oh, they noticed. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Without me having to call it out in advance to my editor, this early reader recognized it. And I was so excited and so happy. And they had some tips for, hey, like, you know, in the developmental edits for readers who aren't familiar with a four act structure with a Kishoten Ketsu, maybe we could do this or maybe we could do that to help them feel more comfortable with the story being satisfying, even if they've never been introduced to this kind of story before. And that was that was a journey, friends. That was definitely a journey. I had to rewrite my whole climax, which was okay because it was it was I didn't have to let anything go, but I definitely had to think about how I wanted it to happen. Go ahead, Brent. All right. So um, what I was going to say is is that um, I think using stylistic choices is a good way to indicate. So like I'm reading like the spirit cuts through water right now, and they have a lot of things that like. Um, is someone telling a story. And when someone's telling a story, they'll italicize the whole section. Or, you know, they'll put it in the they'll put it in a different font. And so like you kind of get the idea, like, oh, okay, this is meant to be taken outside of the main story. Or what they'll do is is they'll have like little headers, like little mini titles and when they get to a part where it's a different story. So you know, like, oh, okay, I'm reading something that's out that's, you know, not linear, not actually part of the um Part of the narrative. Uh, it's a challenge, though, when it comes to that, and I apologize for cutting. Yeah, in. no, and I know, and I know the biggest thing is that your publisher. You don't know if your publisher is going to be cool with this or not. Oh, no, it's not even the publisher. When you're going to try to go for that, the question is when you have someone who is trying to read your book who is using um, aids because they're blind. Can yeah. computer reading? I mean, a computer reader, depending on the software, depending on the way they're doing it might warn them that there's a change of font, but it will break the storytelling experience for them. That's a good point. So from an accessibility perspective too, there's some thoughts there, right? Like an audio book would be different because a lot of people who are visually impaired may decide to choose to listen to audio books too. So then it's on the narrator. Right. But then again, the narrator is not going to say that this next section is an italicized, right? Like they're just going to continue to read. Right. And then it's an, a narrator choice as to whether or not they're going to change their cadence or change their voice to indicate the change in font. I did have I did just listen to an audiobook where it definitely they definitely did that. So I, I mean I guess it just depends on if they're willing to or not. But yeah, that's the only thing I can really think of off the top of my head is if you do a stylistic thing. Cause what I wonder is like if you just just don't go for it, like how many people do you lose? Or maybe you just gotta, maybe that's just the game you play when you're doing something outside the norm with anything writing wise. You just gotta calculate your losses. It's tough, right? Like, so I am a little bit more established as a writer with, with a, a few books behind my, you know, behind me in my backlist. And I will admit, 
absolutely confess to the fact that I made choices, especially early in my career, to write books that are early in my series, right? Like, so I have the True Hero series. I have the Safeguard series. I have the London Shifter series. I have the Triton Experiment series all in my backlists before I've gotten to the Myth Woven series, which will launch this year, right? They're all different universes. They're across different subgenres. Um, almost all of the first books in those series are hit the genre and hit it well in a conventional way and storytelling style. I have conventional characters. I have conventional storytelling and I introduce everybody who's going to come up later in the series in those books. And so I have an audience who's hooked on the series and invested in learning more about these characters as they move forward through the series. And then in each book after that, I start to introduce to my readers, I add them a, a little more spiciness, right? Like maybe, maybe we've just got, you know, vanilla ice cream in the first book. And, and then I add lotus seeds because if you've never had lotus seeds, boiled in simple syrup and then poured over vanilla ice cream. I strongly suggest it. It is glorious. Um, you know, and then the third book, I might decide, hey, let's introduce a Thai pepper simple syrup poured over kefir lime ice cream, right? Like, so <laughs> we've now taken a journey through the series and you didn't even know that you've been introduced to flavors and experiences that you didn't know. But I made choices at the beginning of those series to hook in a broad audience and then bring them on to the experience because they're hooked and invested in the world already. And what that ended up being with true hero series is that I did hook them in and have them in love with the characters so that I had completely uh, people of color by books four, five, six. I, I kind of, I, LP, are you going to talk about the thing you put in the chat? Cause I want, I want the answer to that question. Will's hand went up first though. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, so then I know we're going to do a deep dive into Wings Once Cursed and Bound, but when you approached that book, did you have to think, because you're an established author already, like, I'm going to do this different um, structure. Were you worried if your readers were going to come with, like, are you worried about that? Um, or were you thinking? I'm eating my hair. I'm yeah. literally eating my hair as the arcs go out. Uh, and, and I'm not going to lie, when I was coming up with the themes and the, and the story structures, everybody, everybody on my editorial team, my agent, everybody loved the idea of the main character being a Kinari, a bird princess, right? A Thai bird princess, Thai mythology. Wow, this is great. This is cool. Also, let's give the readers something they might be familiar with to latch on to. And so the love interest is a vampire because... The audience yeah. will most likely be, um, you know, familiar with that. And, you know, I'm, if anybody knows who I'm partnered to, he's basically a vampire anyway. Like, so <laughs> it's not that I don't love vampires and not, it's not that I wouldn't write about vampires. It's just that I will confess that we thought about, Hey, what will be an experience that gives readers both something they're comfortable with and a concept that they're really going to be like, yeah, I, I, I'm familiar with this and I love it. And this is the flavor that I love. And then let's give them a flavor that is going to be a, a new adventure for them and make sure that they're both in the same book. I mean, I have to say, and then LP can talk. I have to say like, after since reading it, um, 
I feel like out of all your books that I've read, and I've read almost all of them, this is by far to me my favorite. And I feel like you can see your like evolution and growth as a storyteller. And I feel like, and answer me this, do you feel like with this book, like you felt like you went back to like the storytelling that you really loved and that you felt like the most free with? Because I feel like Piper, it comes across like, this is just such a powerful book that you've written, you know, and I like how you've played with structure. So Piper just cycled through the the shades of blushing just in case (laughs) anyone needs that visual cue. It's all good. It's fine. Um, So I will say that I started out writing um, thinking that I was going to be writing fantasy. And then I wrote my first book and I did the homework uh, before going on submission to be like, hey, can I really like speak to what my genre was? And I did some homework on it. And I was like, oh, hey, I actually wrote a paranormal romance, not a fantasy. And that's okay. It was kind of post-apocalyptic, but it, it was cool. And um, I love writing romance. I love writing romantic elements. I love writing relationships. Uh, I even teach on relationships, like friend relationships and romantic relationships. And enemy relationships are delicious. I love them, right? So relationships are something that I really enjoy. Uh, So when it came time to write um, Wings Once Cursed and Bound, it was really kind of funny because um, it it was a deep dive into one of my favorite myths, the menorah myth, or Sutton and menorah. And um, it was also a deep dive into me exploring a theme for my character rather than, hey, this is who my character is and she's going to go through this arc and relationship arc with a person, but she herself has a theme. And I had never done that before in writing my books is choosing a theme for each of my main characters. Um, to go through with the book and have them explore that theme. And so I think that is what you're seeing as a difference in this book as compared to others. I mean, I love all of my romances. This is the first book where a dog was not central to the plot. That felt really awkward. Like, I mean, I have sugar gliders in there and they they play a part, right? But they're not as sparkly because I, I had feedback that I have a tendency to make the animal characters a little more sparkly than the actual like human characters in books. So I was trying to let the animals step back to supporting roles and, you know, really focus on my humanoid characters. And um, yeah, no, this is the first time that the romance and developing the romance wasn't the primary core aspect of me writing the book. So I think that comes through. Yeah, totally. Go ahead, LP. There we go. Um, so, okay. So here, my zhuzh is that like, you know, writing speculative fiction, doing speculative things. Uh, my stories find uh, nothing I've, I've published to date is what I would call like a traditional, nothing that I've published to date is something that I've seen taught in academic or professional settings in the West. Right. Um I also like uh, after the POB score came out, started to realize that like all of my um, pro sales have been reprints where someone else like took a chance on my interesting story structure. Then like, you know, XYZ place was like, Oh, okay, well now we'll publish it. It's great. 
right? Once it's forward, it's fine. But when my stories come out, people resonate with them consistently. And it's never, if anything, it's a conversation about where to find it, but it's never a conversation about like, oh, well, that was meh, that was very mid. Um, and so my approach to to the books part of it is like, okay, I'm going to write the things that I want to write and trust that there's going to be an audience that lands there. I know I'm going to have to have a special kind of agent and I know that I'm going to have to have a special kind of editor to believe in these things. I know that, you know, I don't believe that there's a such thing as publisher marketing. So I know that I'm going to have to like jump through all the hoops to do the things. So when you said that like all of your series start with like very like traditional forms and then you diverge as the series gets, goes on, like I want to read things that expand my understanding of things. I don't want to read necessarily like the next twilight um, unless it's a twilight that's based in Hawaii with Hawaiian mythology. I was like, okay, I'm about to learn something about a people. That's great. I love that. Um, And I don't want anything to hang it on. I don't need a twilight vampire or a fright night vampire. I, I, I just want, Give me the things that are your people so that I can start to learn your people um, and not written by a white person and making money off of someone else's culture and or mythology or folklore. Um, and so I guess I guess what I'm looking for is um, co- confirmation that I should believe <laughs> that writing weird shit which is generally my goal, uh, that it'll, that it'll find its audience. I don't expect the things that I write to, to really click for everybody, but like, I do believe that like, I believe, I believe that yes, what you write, especially what you said about, I want to write my stories. I want to write what I want to read, you know, and, and, and I believe it will find its audience. I agree with you. It will. It absolutely will. The choices that I made were made because I had goals for my author career to reach a broader audience than the people who were already open to me. People who were already open-minded to me, I got you. I'm happy you're here. I love you. I am going to continue to love you. But I also want to read reach a broader audience Mm-hmm. And step up instead of those perhaps default authors who are writing about this stuff because no one else is. Hi, I'm here. I am writing it. And this audience enjoys it. And so I am going to step up, take a place at the table, and then I'm going to take up space and hopefully make more space. One of the things I was appalled by a couple of years ago was that in the Romance Writers of America, I was the first Thai American adult romance author. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like how? And a publisher was like, oh, Piper, with this next book that's coming out, we'd like you to make a list of your favorite Thai American authors that write romance. And I'm like, me, that's it. Me. I got one. Can I, can, I, can I expand this to a young adult? And they're like, we don't really want you to expand to young adult. But I mean, if there's... A, how many are you talking about? I'm like, there's one other one. Pintip Dunn runs amazing young young adult 
romance, and she is a Thai-American author. Uh, she also writes adult romance by now. It's been a few years since we had that question come up. Uh, but at the time, I was the only adult romance writer that was Thai-American with a book out in the U.S., traditional or indie, as far as we knew. And I was looking. I was looking for other people to put on this list. And they're like, well, what about Aliette de Bedard? And I'm like, Vietnamese French. You totally missed the mark. Right. And they're like, what about this person? Oh, that one's Canadian, right? Not Thai either. Like we we went through everything. Nobody was Thai and they didn't <laughs> even get the the right continent. Right. Like it was a thing. My agent was like, wow, you know, just wow. And I'm not saying it was bad. Like I'm not trying to to take shots at the publishing house or the publicist of that time. They were asking me for something that was working at the time, which was authors who share their favorite lists of other authors who write in the genre, who are also of the same identity. Mm. That's what they were going for. Unfortunately, what they hadn't anticipated was I was by myself. I hadn't anticipated that I was by myself. I, during the course of trying to write this for my publisher, I met a whole bunch of Thai American young adult and middle grade and children's book authors. And I still buy their books for my nephews. But at the time, I was the only Thai American adult romance author. And I was kind of appalled. And then I sat there and went, I, did, I still haven't, I've only written one book with one Thai American character in it. <laughs> I need to keep writing. Um, and not just because I need Thai American characters in every book, but just because I need to keep writing. Right. So that was something where I was like, okay, this is another moment where I'm making a decision in my career that I want to hit mainstream. Like I, I do believe that if you write speculative fiction, if that you write, if you write weird, if you write idiosyncrasy, idiosyncrasies, if you write your own individualistic thing there are other people who want to read this yes absolutely and you will find your audience and they will become this loyal passionate following and that is a choice and it's a good one i made a choice that i wanted to hit mainstream and make people aware that people like me exist and that was a choice too and then once i had the chance to step into the room and make people realize i existed i wanted to give them my flavors on things to introduce them to the fact that there could be more right even when i cook thai food for people that's a snapshot right like there's a whole bunch of other thai food that other people are going to cook other ways but hey here's my introduction for you i'm a gateway come explore more and that's what i chose for my career i'm not crying you're crying it's fine <laughs> we're okay we're going to be okay. We're all, we're all okay. It's, it's not happening. This is just a really good moment to say, this is why we love you and appreciate you <laughs> so much. Like, you know, like we, Marshall and I have known you for some time and I know Will has too. And it's, it's always amazing to hear you talk and speak, especially with the things that you're passionate about. So thank you for sharing all that with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> uh, not to break up the moment, Piper, but do you have other structures you wanted to bring up in this episode since we're running towards the end? At least one more. I wanted more. to talk about okay. circular story storytelling because circular storytelling. Two? Two. We're doing two? I don't know. LP is frozen saying LP's two. LP is frozen. 
But yeah, so at least circular structure. Yeah, at least one. Um, So circular storytelling is, or or I've heard it sometimes called cyclic storytelling. So either one. I am not a... um, an expert on this because I know that oftentimes it comes from an oral tradition and I've heard of it coming from African storytelling and cyclic structure and oral, oral storytelling. And I've also heard it from an East Asian. The example that I can think of is an East Asian uh, example. And that's the movie hero with Jet Li came out years ago. Uh, but we have, again, this overarching story, kind of like what we talked about with the nested story telling structure. We have an overarching story. And in Hero specifically, we have nested flashbacks, but they're circular or cyclic because we get the same moment in flashback from a different POV each time. And each time it's told, A, the people are dressed in different colors, so that you have a visual clue that this is a different perspective of the same thing happening. But B, you learn something new with that new perspective that you didn't know before. And so through the course of the story, you have the overarching story, but each of these flashbacks is teaching you something more, not just, hey, what is said is happening is placed in front of you, but also here's a perspective on it and here's another perspective on it. So you understand why things fell out the way that they did and who's um, a a reliable narrator versus an unreliable narrator. And so hero with Jet Li is not only visually spectacular, it's amazing because of the cyclic nature of its storytelling. And a lot of people were like, Oh, well that was so repetitive. I didn't see the point of that. I'm like, did you not learn new things? With every retelling, because that's the point. And by the end, you've learned so much that you're practically crying at the way that this thing falls out. It's, it's amazing. So I just really, really would love more circular or cyclic storytelling introduced in a way that we could learn to appreciate it in the written format, even though it has kind of oral history and background like i can understand how could you imagine how impactful and dramatic it would be for an oral storyteller who is just really well practiced telling you an epic story in circular storytelling where the audience knows parts of it and participate in it as they're you know doing the refrains like that whole experience would be amazing and now how do we do it in writing craft do you think that's something? Do you think that's something that has to be outlined, or can you do it through discovery writing, or do you think it has to be a mixture of both? I think you could do it for discovery writing for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, because every iteration, you could learn something too. Like, how many discovery writers do we know going, oh, 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 oh this happens. I know this happens. I didn't know that three days ago, but I know it now, right? Like, so I True. definitely think that you could write a circular story. Um, or a circular storytelling narrative uh, through discovery writing. I think you could plot it too, but I think it's accessible to writers who lean farther to one or the other. I'm a, a writer that kind of weeble wobbles back and forth between the two all the time. I'm rather chaotic. Uh, so I can definitely see how you could write a circular narrative. It's also a form that shows up in songwriting in that like uh, predating the verse chorus structure that we know so well now, like AAA or AABA songs, like there'd be the title at the top or the bottom of the A section 
I'm sorry, this is going to go fast. Uh, and then, but every time the title comes around, it means something different or slightly different. And so like st- songs like By the Time I Get to Phoenix or. Uh, Don't Take the Girl. It's a country song. Just, okay. Just, <laughs> just I'm look it out. up. I'm like, boop. Uh, uh, I know, know this one. one. I, know, I know this song. Oh, okay, Nick. You better know things. <laughs> But yeah, uh, it, it's it's actually it's it's a it's a it's a style that like shows up a lot in the American Songbook, um, where every time the X event happens, it, it means something different every time. I also put in the chat. I was talking about the Black Star trilogy by Marlon James, which I haven't started yet, but I do know that each book is a recounting of the same events from a different person's perspective. Um, I have other questions about it, but I guess I'll have to read it, read them to answer those. Oh, I would love to do a book club with you on it. I read them. Of course you did. Yeah, that was my books last year. Sorry. Should we um, So yeah, that was, those were the, the non-Western story structures that came to mind when we were talking about like, hey, what are these story structures that we're unfamiliar with that have popped? And, and honestly, I've seen books have, get, get some some interesting, maybe not so generous reviews because the reviewer didn't recognize the story structure and tried to say that the author should have made other choices in narrative to fix that problem. Piper has a book coming out. Wings, Once Cursed and Bound. And it is released on when, Piper? April 11th, 2023. It's actually the week of Thai New Year. Songkran. Amazing. That's going to be fun. (laughs) And just so our listeners know that we are going to be having an in-depth interview about the book with Piper that will uh, come out after the book is released. Like we're, it's going to be released in April. um, Our episode interviewing Piper about the book. Um, So by when you're hearing this, it's still going to be available for pre-order, pre-order it. Read it when it comes out, so when you're ready for the episode. Please do pre-order, because it lets my publisher know that you want this series, and it is a series. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.